Thanks for checking out the Renew Life Church podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that today's message encourages you. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1 because I want to answer a question uh, before we get started. Uh, why is the family so important to the church? Why is the family so important to the church? In 1 Timothy 1, what we're reading is we're reading the Apostle Paul who's speaking to Timothy about a church in Ephesus. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, what's called the fivefold office. Who in here has heard about the fivefold office? You've heard that term. Okay, actually not very many people. The fivefold office. In Ephesians chapter 4, uh, there's a scripture where God defines uh, what ministry and, and, and offices of ministry actually look like. He says that he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Most people say when I got called to ministry, I was called into ministry. They're saying I was called into one of those fivefold offices. Well, Paul, the writer of this, of, of this passage, of this text, Paul is an apostle. Apostles were known for planting churches, but not just planting churches, but to continue to oversee those churches after they were planted. So in 1 Timothy 1, what you have is Paul talking to Timothy. He plants this church. He leaves. He goes on, and he's talking to Timothy about the leadership of the church and how to train or how to lead the leaders in this church here in Ephesus. And so let's just start here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. I think they'll put it up on the screen. Yeah, we'll just read it right here. It says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote the speculations rather than the stewardship from the God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. And so he's saying, hey, I need you to talk to the leaders of this church. I need you to, to instruct the leaders of the, of the church. There are some things that they're doing that they shouldn't be doing. Uh, I, I'm showing you how to, to lead the leaders of the church. Now, we're going to fast forward to 1 Timothy chapter 3, because in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul begins to get very specific about some, some characteristics that are actually requirements for those that are called to leadership in the church. How many of you guys believe if, if the Bible is going to take time to be very specific about what requirements leadership should have in the church, they're probably a good place to start for us as well. Probably a good place to start. I, I, I want to pause here for just a second because some of the thing, things that I'm about to read, this is actually the first time I've, that I know of I've ever shared this on a platform or a public platform, if you will, anywhere. When we planted this church four years ago, this is a passage of Scripture here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that was very near and dear to my heart. In fact, every pastor that we've ever hired, I have looked at them face-to-face, talked to them face-to-face, and I've basically said, hey, I'm going to use the Bible model of leadership for the church. And so we would talk through some of these things in 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's only recently that I've come to understand that this is actually, it's bigger than just talking to the pastors on the staff. It's just something that I think every single person in this room needs to hear, and I'll explain why here in just a second. Let's look here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Again, Paul speaking to Timothy, he says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, now in the King James translation, this word overseer is actually translated bishop. How many of you guys have ever heard of the word bishop? Uh, I feel like I should go ahead now and let you guys know from this point forward, I would like for you to refer to me as Bishop Braden rather than Pastor Braden. 
If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Now look here at verse 4. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Verse 8, deacons likewise must also be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded and faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. There we see it again. For, all, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so what you see here is he's talking about overseers, bishops, leaders, deacons, and I'm not going to pretend that the, uh, today to know the difference of, uh, of what's the difference between a bishop and a deacon and different levels of leadership. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure where I land on that. I, I just know it's very clear that he's talking about leadership within the church. And at every single level, every single layer of leadership, he talks about what's their family like? How's their family? How's their family doing? He, want, he cares about the family it seemed, seemed at times maybe more than anything because he actually pauses and says, hang on a second, let's talk about the family. If you can't manage your own household, if you can't take care of your family, if you don't have a good family, a strong family, then how can you take care of God's church? It wasn't necessarily the talent level that qualified them for leadership. It wasn't their giftedness. It wasn't their socioeconomic status. It wasn't the fact whether their, their dad was a pastor, so that maybe that means they're qualified for leadership in the church. None of those things seem to matter. It's interesting. Sometimes what we think is qualifying someone as leadership doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily what God says qualifies someone for leadership. We all know the story of David. David was called. He was assigned to be a king. But when the, the prophet came to the house of Jesse and says, there's a king in this house, the dad lines up everyone except for David. Because in his mind, David didn't have what it took to be the leader, to be, to be the king. And so it's very important that, that we look at what does God say? What does God say when it comes to leadership within a church? Now, maybe you're sitting there and saying, man, I have no idea why I came to church today because I have absolutely no desire to be a leader in the church. You can go ahead and be dismissed. There's several games that start at 12, you know. Uh, I'm just kidding. It's, it's interesting, and I want to answer that question. It's like, okay, so what if you're one of those people in here, and you're like, you know what? I'm actually perfectly happy being a, a, a housewife. I feel like I'm called to parent my kids. I'm, that's my focus right now is my kids. That's what I think God's called me to do is lead my kids. Or maybe you're a husband. You're like, I, I run a business. I'm perfectly happy with what I do in the business. I have no desire to lead in the church. Well, here's what I would say to that. The reason God wants the, those that are called to lead in the church, that to have strong families, is because he wants them to lead you in the exact same direction. He wants them to, he, God wants the leaders of this church to be leading the rest of the church in the direction of small families. He wants, it to, he want the, he wants the leaders to have the, have the t-shirt, so to speak, 
to have some experience, to have some knowledge and have some wisdom. So whether it's you're in here and you're like, you know, I actually do aspire to lead in the church and not necessarily maybe a call to ministry, but just be a leader in the church or you're just in the church, we all fall into this category of needing to have and God desiring for us to have uh, strong families. And so today what we're going to do is focus on marriage. And so uh, I decided to have uh, someone come out, the one that happens to be so privileged to have been married to me for all these years, 15 almost years. Please welcome my wife, Leanne. So privileged. <laughs> I'll be I heard honest. what you said too backstage. Well, right? I'll be honest with you. Um, after first service, I don't know if I want you up here with me. <laughs> so uh, just know that there will be some things that Leanne says today that are untrue. They're false. And they're just flat out inappropriate, if I'm being quite honest with you. Um, so, no, we, we, we want to do this together. We've done some classes like this before uh, where we, we got really... Uh, I guess, vulnerable and transparent with you about some things concerning marriage, but we really felt like it was time to kind of take it to, uh, to, to the, Sunday morning, the Sunday morning crowd. And I'll start off by saying this. The fact that we're up here teaching a series or talking about marriage is not saying that we have it all figured out where marriage is concerned. Every single week we get up here and talk about faith and love and grace and, and different things. And just because we talk about those, those things doesn't mean we have the market cornered. The Bible says that if you have enough faith, you can speak to a mountain and it'll jump into the sea. Well, I can just tell you, I've never spoken to a mountain and watched it jump into the ocean. Uh, but it's not going to keep me from teaching what the Bible says about faith. It's not going to keep me from bringing those things to you. And I, I think over the course of our lives, there's things where uh, we have taken what we believe to be as godly principles, scriptures, we found things we found in the Bible, we've applied them to our marriage and, uh, and at least had a level of success, or at least I think we have. Leanne will tell you whether that's true or not. Um, so far, so good. So far, so good. So. <laughs> no, I'm, you know, as we jump into this, I think it's important to start at the very beginning which is the first marriage ever recorded in the Bible for um, Adam and Eve. So we're going to read Genesis 2, 22 through 24. And you know, this is how God actually began, uh, began the first family and the family as we know it. And so I think it's important to start here. Let's read this. Verse 22 says, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And, and I'll stop right there. We're, out of this scripture, we're going to focus on a couple of things. But before we get into kind of our main, kind of, kind of our main point, I do want to stop and, and point out what to a lot of people is the obvious, but in today's culture has become apparently not so obvious. Let's just be clear that a godly marriage, a godly union is between one man and one woman. One man and one woman. Now, there have been times over the course of this ministry where um, even in just in from other, even other pastors within this community, I think we felt pressure to make stands and make statements about where do y'all stand on this? And when they legalized gay marriage, where, did y'all make a statement at your church and just talk about how terrible it is and talk about how wrong it is? When, when this happened, did you make a statement? When, the, when all the racial stuff was and is still going on, have you made a statement? You know, I just try to be very careful about when I make a statement, and I don't make statements because CNN or Fox News tells me to make a statement. I try to make a statement when the Holy Spirit or the Scriptures tell me to make a statement. And so I'm not here to make a statement, if you will. I have convictions. Some of the, the things in the media, I almost feel like 
should we even have to make a statement? Is it not so clear racism is wrong? Is it not so clear certain things are just ridiculous? Isn't it not so clear? But about this particular topic here when it comes to gay marriage I, I just wanna, and, and homosexuality, I just want to say this. We're talking about this today in the confines of God's plan for your marriage. God's plan for your marriage. And that doesn't mean that we love or care for less for someone who's dealing with homosexuality. Unfortunately, and I'll just say this, and, and, and I don't even um, expect too many amens, and I don't need the amens to be quite honest with you, but in the South, it seems like we have a bigger problem with this than we do in a lot of other places in the country. We, deal, we, we struggle with people who are homosexuals. We tell jokes about people who are homosexuals. We, 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 we say things about them and feel ways about them that it's funny. We don't feel the same way about liars and gossips and cheats. Like I said, I brought my own, my own amens this morning, so I didn't really. But here's, here's my point. We don't love someone who struggles with this less than we love anybody else in this church. We don't love them less. We don't, what they're dealing with is not, well, it's just, Pastor, you have to admit, I, had, I got in a really rough argument with a really good friend of mine about this. And he has, he, his, his point was, well, you have to say this is worse. And I said, I don't say anything's worse unless God says it's worse. And actually, one of the things that God says is worse is judging. So if you want to put that in your pipe and smoke it, feel free to do so. Uh, I think overall, like we, the word is just our standard. The it's word got is to the be standard. Our standard because the media tries to tell us what to believe. Culture tries to shape our views and our beliefs, and we have to always go back to the word of God, the Bible, for our standard, and especially in when it comes to marriage yeah. and anything but marriage. So again, yeah. this is not us making a statement, other than the fact that if you want a healthy marriage, you have to do it God's way. Yeah. And God's way from the foundation of the earth was one man and one woman. So we'll move on from that because I really want us to focus. We want to focus more today, not just on that, but the fact that you see here in verse 24 where it says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. What I want to focus today on is the, the fact that God's plan for your marriage is unity. God's perfect plan for your marriage is unity. God saw fit to take two things that were separate and bring them together and call it marriage. If God's plan is to take two things that are separate and bring them together, what do you think that the enemy's plan is to do? Take two things that were, have become one and make one two again. So we have to understand the Bible says don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. He is looking to divide. God is looking to bring together. And I think that's what we want our, our focus to be today. Yeah. And um, as we get started, I had kind of a, a funny story I wanted to share with you guys. Um, you know, when we first got married, we we're going on 15 years of marriage this December. And uh, it's been glorious, thanks to me. But um, <laughs> anyway, we're going on 15 years. and But I remembered back to year one of our marriage and we had a uh, a, a man in our life, a, a spiritual mentor in our life that we greatly admired, greatly respected. And he came to us one day and he said, you know, I think um, a good thing for you guys to do since you just got married is to do this spiritual gifts slash personality quiz for marriage so that you can kind of see where you are. And it, it had like seven, seven different categories. And um, uh, anyway, so we proceeded to take the test. And when we gave him our results, he kind of laughed because, well, he he very much laughed, I think, because he felt sorry for us. But um, we were as far apart in this spectrum as you could possibly get, like me, Brayden being a one and me being a seven. Like, you couldn't get any further apart. And he looked at us, and I'll never forget. He even said, he even said you're the most one one I've ever met, and you're the most seven <laughs> seven, seven I've yeah. ever met. So. I was like, thanks, God, for that. But um, So he even looked at us, and I'll never forget, and he said, you're either going to be a power couple or you're going to kill each other. 
And that has definitely proven to be true uh, in our lives. I, I think we're I less power couple than we have almost killed each other. But um, yeah, so unity has been something that we, as, as we go into this topic of unity and marriage and intentionality, it's definitely something that um, we don't sit here with a perfect marriage. Uh, we're very two very imperfect people that serve a very perfect and loving God. And, uh, yeah, so we're, we're going to share with you guys some candid things. Well, and, I like, and I like the word you said there, intentionality. And I think that's one of the things that you have to understand about when you get married. The Bible says the two become one. But I think we would all agree that we didn't become one in every single thing. We didn't all of a sudden start thinking alike, acting alike, liking the same things. I remember when we first got married, uh, I thought, well, this is fantastic. Now I just have someone else to play golf with. And bow hunt. And bow hunt. Yeah. So I bought her a bow, uh-huh. and I bought her some golf clubs. Um, I think she's played golf once with me, twice. twice, and then I took her bow hunting once. She spooked the deer off, and no, I quit I inviting her. You didn't shoot I a deer with a deer. your bow. Don't try to Not get points right now in this crowd. <laughs> um, but it was there. There can be these misconceptions early on that okay, we're together, everything's together, it's automatic. She's gonna love what I love. I'm gonna love what she loves. But the reality, uh, the reality is, it just doesn't happen that way. When it comes to unity and being together, you have to be intentional about being together. You have to be intentional about creating unity in your marriage. I know that uh, one of the things that I that I've had to work on and on my end is that when it comes to how she feels love versus how I feel loved, how she feels like we're together versus how I feel like we're together, I have to be intentional about what unity means to her. I have to be intentional about what coming together means to her. I know my, my personality, I, I've got a very much, um, single focus personality. And so when I'm on something, I'm like 100% all in. If it's, if it's bow hunting, I'm going to be the best bow hunter. If it's golf, Tiger Woods better watch out. It's like, no, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm like so all in. It's actually a somewhat comical to watch how I get. And, and I know when we started this church, I, I basically shoved most hobbies to the side and the church was all I cared about. I, I, I thought about the church. I, I worked at the church. Uh, I would study on Saturdays, preach on Sundays, work Monday through Thursday, and Friday was supposed to be a day off, but I would find myself scheduling meetings with people on Fridays and lunches with people on Fridays and sneaking up to the office even on Friday nights at times to get a head start on studying before Saturday. And before you knew it, my, our family was even suffering. Our marriage was suffering because I wasn't being intentional with us being together about our day off. And so uh, we had a conversation because we don't fight. We had a conversation <laughs> about this. And uh, it, it, at, by the end of that conversation, I realized that it wasn't something that came natural to, to me. It wasn't, I wasn't just thinking about that. It's, it's, it's interesting. There's been times where the Lord's had to help me understand that it's okay to be you. I don't feel guilty for being what you're not. Just be intentional about what you're not. And, and, and like when I, as a, as a husband, I've never cussed at my wife. I've never called her a name. I've, ne- I, those, I've never done those things. I've never lost my temper on her. I've never, I've never done those things. So I've never struggled in that particular area. But I've also not been very good over the years of, giving words of encouragement. It's like words of encouragement is about as difficult as a hug for me sometimes. It's like I had to force them out, you know. So like early on in our life, I had to be intentional. I had to put on the, the calendar, uh, say something sweet to your wife. In fact, I think it was her idea because I think it, how it went well, down. we were fighting. We, I th- we were, no, talking. we were talking. And you said. We were talking and she said, you know what? Something to the effect I said, you, you have so put, many. Yeah, you no, gotta, let me tell it. You said, I said, you have so many things in your calendar 
You want to you add in your calendar, say something nice to your wife every now and then. And I think she was being sarcastic, but I was like, yeah. that's a fantastic idea. <laughs> so I literally, and I think that made her even more mad. It I put it on my calendar, say something sweet to your wife today. It backfired on me, but in a good way. In a good way. So and, but something. the same thing when it came to spending time. I was spending too much time on Fridays, and so I said, okay, I've got to get intentional because I know I'll plan something if I don't see something on my calendar. So every other Friday, I put, and of course she hates this part, but I call her Gunny. That's my little name for her. Gunny. So I put on every other Friday says, Gunny day, all day, or a day. This is so embarrassing. <laughs> But, oh but here, here's the point. Until something does become automatic, don't feel guilty for what you're not. Just be intentional about what you're not. If it's not something you think about, you, that, that it, it, a wife may say, I want you to feel that way. I want you to think. And they probably do want that. But I'll tell you what, it speaks to them when they see you being intentional about that. When they see you being intentional about something they, that they know doesn't come automatic for you, you're speaking their love language without even really, really realizing it. Right. You're setting something in motion. So that's good. I saw a, um, a quote on Moral Revolution's um, Instagram uh, page last night that I really wanted to share with you guys. I thought, this is perfect. It said, we don't drift in good directions. And I thought, that's perfect for, for what we're talking about because... If you're just living life with your spouse day to day, day by day, and there's no intentionality, you're going to end up drifting, and you're going to end up drifting apart. And everything um, that's going to be good and God in your marriage is going to have to be intentional. And uh, especially as you get past, you know, year one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, where the goosebumps and some of that is worn off, and it's more a choice to love and be selfless. And uh, so I, I, I think from my perspective, I wanted to share something. Um, first service thought it was rather comical, and I think that's where Braden's comments about my inappropriateness came in. But, ladies, you have probably agree with me that um, it seems like most of the guys, they pretty much just want one thing, and the one thing, if we will do that, it will make them uh, very happy. And so from, Amen. from my point of view, from my point of view, um, it's been a struggle to realize that and not um, you know, get upset by that and just realize that if I'm giving him the sex and the intimacy that God created us to have as a married couple is something very powerful. And everything that God creates has a purpose. And it has, the world tries to uh, pervert and twist, but everything that God creates is beautiful and it has a purpose. And it's also, um, it's also supernatural. When we come together in intimacy as husband and wife, it is supernatural. And there's something set in motion that um, God created, and so it draws, it actually draws the man's heart back to the woman. And so, wives, I just want to encourage you, it doesn't take that long. Just get in there and just make it happen, ladies. Just make it happen. Look, it's really not that difficult. They're pretty simple. I'm not trying to dumb them down because they're amazing. Brayden's amazing. You guys are amazing. But they pretty much were created to just pretty much want one thing, and they're happy. We are kind of all over the map. We want lots of things. Um, but you said it doesn't take simple. long. I'm just conscientious of your time. I know you have time to do things. And I, I did it for you. I do it for you. And if you have to put it on the calendar, schedule it, it doesn't even bother them. So just go for it. Just, it doesn't have to be romantic, you know. Um, I heard there was, there's this lady that I, I absolutely love. Her name's Havila Cunnington. She's from Bethel Church. And she said this. I didn't say this, but she said this. It's super funny. And she said, you know, after you've been married, a few years, you just kind of say, honey, come on, and you start taking your own clothes off and say, I got dinner to cook. Let's get this done. <laughs> so, yeah, that's um, from my perspective. But honestly, jokes aside, 
it is something that was created by God to draw our hearts to each other. And it has a supernatural, um, there's a covenant with intimacy within a husband and a wife. And it's something that God created. And I've noticed that if we're going through a rough patch, even I've even kind of had to put my own um, feelings aside sometimes. Even We might be fighting sometimes. And if I will um, put that into motion, I don't know how to say that appropriately. Take if your I'll, clothes off. If I'll put that into motion... It actually stops some of the strife right in its tracks. And, um, it, it, but sometimes we have to put our, our selfish feelings aside. And uh, yeah, there you go. You got, I'm going to no, leave it, that it, right no, there. You know what? If no, you're gonna start, If you're going to start this, <laughs> you have to tell the story about that time we were in the fight. And you're like, This is nope. not on our notes. It, well, it is now. <laughs> Since I'm so conscientious of your time. Um, Tell, tell the story where you, I was mad and we were, yeah, you do remember. And you're like, you're like, we're having sex right now. Well, I mean, it's in the Bible, so. I, I was like. It worked, didn't it? Yeah, it did. <laughs> but it, it, it was interesting because it, we were in the middle of a fight and she's like, you could see like a light switch turn. She's like. And I started to realize that this had power. <laughs> Yeah, but you're like, we're having sex right now. It's like, I don't want to have sex. We're fighting. You're like, and you just start taking your clothes off. Oh, God. Uh-huh. Get you some of that. Um, okay. <laughs> Uh-oh. In all, seri- in all seriousness, like, and, and I think that is, it's interesting because we don't talk about this stuff like this in church, and we should. And, I, and, I, and I've, I've had this thought, too, because to be honest with you, my oldest daughter, she typically serves one service here at the church and then attends one service at the church. And so this morning, I was thinking, I knew what our notes said, and I was like, this should be fun for her. And, uh, and so I went downstairs this morning, I saw her, I was like, hey, are you not coming to the first service and then serving the second service? She's like, yeah, I think I'm going to serve both services. I heard you're talking about marriage. Good call, <laughs> you know. But if we're honest, when it comes to things like this, just to address, you know, maybe maybe the obvious when it comes to things like this, it is such an important part of marriage. Sex is health and a healthy perspective of what sex is. Can I just say this? And this is almost going over into the parenting side of things. But can I just say your kids are ready to hear about sex before you're ready to talk about sex? And if you'll start before almost at MTV, does anybody even watch MTV anymore? TMZ. Or anything else, but before their friends or somebody else starts talking to them about it, if you'll get comfortable with it yourself first and have it, that conversation from a healthy perspective, you're literally setting them up to have a healthy sex life once they once they are married. So, and and, I, and we'll just kind of wrap it up. I know we've only got uh, one minute left on the on the clock here. Uh, I, I just want to talk to from a, from a spiritual perspective for just a moment because uh, we talk about God's. God's plan for man, marriage is to take two things that are separate and make them one. The devil's uh, attack comes to take t- things that have become one and make them, them, them two again. Um, nothing brings a marriage closer, quicker, and more effective than having one target and going the same speed. Having one target and going the same speed. Here's, here's what I've come to learn. First of all, about my, me and Leanne. I really do feel like when it comes to marriage and parenting and some of those things that we were, we were, we were set up in a lot of ways for success. We, the, the background we came from, my parents raised me the same way Leanne's parents raised her. Their background was almost the exact same.
Her parents' background was almost the exact same as my parents' background. We went to the exact same kind of church. We listened to the exact same kinds of preachers. There were so many things that we were already so much in line on. But as I've done marriage counseling and met people, I've actually come to learn that most people, if not more, more people, if not most people, that's not the case for them. They, they come from completely different backgrounds. One came from a rich family while the other didn't come from such a rich family. And, and, and one came from this culture, the other came from that culture. One used to go to, one grew up in a Catholic church, the other grew up in a Pentecostal church. How did you do that? You know, uh, so there's all the, one raised their kids this way, one raised them this way. One fa- came from a pan- family that uh, didn't believe in spankings. The other believed in a family of abuse. It's just there's these, there's these drastic differences that most families come from, and oftentimes it can be overwhelming to think, how are we supposed to come together when we have so many things that we don't necessarily see eye to eye on? There are a lot of marriages that sit in that exact place. Can I just say this? I love that the Bible has the ability to sum it all up for us and make it super, super simple. Matthew 6.33 says this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. Seek first the ki- Here's what I mean. So if, if, if the kingdom of God is her target, if the kingdom of God is my target, we may start worlds apart in how we feel about marriage and how we feel about parenting and how we feel like we should handle our money and what kind of, chur- we, what kind of church we should go to. We can be miles apart until we set our mind on the exact same target. And so we set our focus on the exact same target. And, I, and I've watched this happen so many times when we're both going towards the same target. Every single step of the way, we're getting closer. Every single step that we take, we're getting closer. One of the, one of the biggest tragedies in my mind is to, to, to see families where you've got a wife so involved in the church, serving at the church, never misses an attendance at the church or, or, or a church service. And not that that's the, the standard, that's not what I'm saying, but you have a wife that seems to be so in pursuit of God and you've got a husband in pursuit of golf in pursuit of his hobbies. And he might show up on Eastern Sunday just to remind his wife that he actually is a Christian so she'll stop nagging him. It's tragic. And that's a marriage that's drifting away. Drifting away. The other thing I, that I notice is when, they're, when you've got a husband and wife and they're both, they're bur- they're both uh, Christians, they're both serving God at the same level, but then one of them has an encounter. One of them has an experience. Something happens where a hunger for the things of God begins to burn inside them at a rate that it's not burning in their spouse, in their husband, in their wife. And all of a sudden, although they're both going at the same target, they're going at different speeds. Can I just say this as, as, a, as a husband, as a wife, as a married couple? If you'll both choose to pursue the same target with the same hunger at the same speed, every single step of your marriage, you'll be getting closer together. Every single step of the way, you'll be getting closer together. I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. Do you realize that nothing would evangelize the United States of America quicker than the church getting their families in order? The world's looking for answers for their marriages. The, the broken people are looking for answers for their marriages. The problem is the church has just as many divorced, divorces and broken homes as the world does. The, the, the world wants answers on what am I supposed to do with this kid, this teenager that I do not understand, that I don't know how to raise, this toddler. That they, they need answers when it comes to parenting. The church is not the place anymore with answers. In fact, the church has now become the place that it seems to have fewer answers because pastor's kids seem to be the worst. And yet we just finished reading in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that God's plan for leadership in the church is that you first have your home in order so that you can lead others to have their homes in order long before you ever hold a microphone. 
And I just think of as the church, we took it seriously how important it is for the sake of not just our marriages, but our family, our country, our assignment, our assignment to advance the kingdom of God. If we would just take the family seriously, you might be surprised how spiritual the, the, the family can actually be. We hope you've enjoyed our podcast today. You can find out more about our ministry at RenewLifeChurch.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Also, our app is available for download so that you can stay up to date. Again, we are so glad you joined us. If you're in the Midland Odessa area, we invite you to come be our guest at one of our services. Have a great day, and we hope to see you soon.